And so I've gotten to the point through my career that I'm, I, I just stop. I talk the way I talk. I pause the way I pause because I, I take a longer pause than, than others. I'm like Obama in some cases. And, um, <laughs> That's a hot take right there. <laughs> you know, mic drop, right? <laughs> Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of Amazon's Black Stories, where we highlight the stories of Black designers, researchers, and creatives from all around the world. I'm your host, Justin James Lopez, and today I'm joined by Veronica Clark, where we explore the importance of defining and finding your authentic self. Let's hear her story. Well, Veronica, thank you again for joining me on this episode. I am so excited for this conversation. We've had quite a bit of interactions back and forth, and this this is a, a long time coming, finally getting you on the on the show so we can hear more about your story. Thank you. Yeah, of course. No, thank you. For starters, let's start with who are you today? What do you do and what does that mean to you? Sure. Today, I am a UX designer here at Amazon slash AWS. And yeah, so what it means to me is pretty much I feel that I create and get something out to users to help them with their day to day, which is something that I really enjoy to do. I just love, we talk about being obsessed with customers. (laughs) I am obsessed with users even before joining Amazon. So my goal is to simplify and create an environment the user can go to on a day-to-day and and make their their day easy with their tasks. Yeah, it sounds amazing, right? I think that <laughs> that's definitely like the cookie cutter answer of it, right? It's like, hey, yeah. this is what I do, right? This is at a, at a top level view, but let's dig a little bit deeper, right? When it comes to you as a designer, as a creative, where does that story start? Was design always the end goal for you when you were younger? I knew I wanted to be something creative. So uh, as a kid, I, if someone ever comes to my home, they would see a ton of painting because art, music, anything in, in just STEM or STEAM has always been my passion. Poetry, anything on that part of... When I grew up in a very artsy household, my dad studied classical music. He also did opera. My brother was a DJ slash hip hop artist. We had a ton of vinyl records from going all the way to classical music and different types of old school Latin boleros. We call them boleros. And then with my brother's side, a ton of old school hip hop because he was older than me. And so, yeah, so I grew up in a very artsy music environment. I had family members that painted, they created sculptures. Like this was they did. This was their job. So I was always surrounded by art. And as a kid, I started with graphic design and that was a big passion of mine. And when I was in high school, fun story, I used to take this math class and I wanted to get extra credit. And the school had like these old big computer because I grew up like in the hood where we had like access to computer, but they were like really old Microsoft Windows (laughs) machine And so someone learned about some command codes to get to some games. And that's how I started. I was like, oh, I like this. I was like, oh, I just type in all these different codes and I get a game and behind the operating system. And so technology and art has always been my biggest passion. But growing up, I remember at one point in my life, I wanted to pursue a career in finance because 
I thought that was the best way to make money. <laughs> I don't have the traditional background of going to a school, getting a bachelor. So I was focused on what type of certificate I should be getting. And my first path was like, hey, let me get my Series 6 and Series 7. And then my dad at one point was like, hey, if you get into finance, and especially if you work in New York, you're going to be burnt out by the time you hit 30. And I was like, well, I don't want to get burned out. <laughs> and so I want to keep my youth and I want to have fun. And so I stopped pursuing my career in finance. And then I went into continuing my passion in design and went into interaction design and graphic design and web design. I was actually a front end designer when I first started in tech. So I was creating, you know, web pages and I even did freelance work where I created my own SOW. <laughs> and so, yeah, that's how I, I got my foot in. And then eventually I, was, I started applying to organization while I had a, a good portfolio to display. And, and here I am now hanging out with Justin. Hanging out with me. Yeah. <laughs> so there's a lot to unpack here, right? Because I think you say it so graciously, but you also drop these gems in there. You mentioned growing up in the hood where you have these outdated computers. And I, I relate to that, right? Because I grew up in, in a very similar space in the Northeast is where I grew up. Mm -hmm. And my family historically comes from different parts of the Caribbean, South America, and having those resources that are technically there, it's like that whole like separate but equal argument of like, well, I have a computer, you have a computer. I'm like, yeah, but mine has an OS from 30 years ago. But we don't talk about these things, right? No. These like these inequities across the board. And you mention it and you, like I said, you say so graciously of, you know what? I started here. I thought this was fun. I moved over to, to study in finance and then I shifted after you got some which sounds like amazing advice from your father. And I wish like, God, I wish <laughs> that more people had parents that could give you that level of perspective of mm -hmm. what's more important than making money is making sure that you get healthy, not stress-free, but you know, minimal stress life that allows you to feel happy in your passion, which is something that it sounds like you got in that moment. Yeah. But you know, you're you're shifting around and you're getting back to it. But I imagine that wasn't easy though right? You say it like I did the thing and then I did another thing. But for me, the trigger was when you said, oh, I started growing up in this area where a lot of the resources were scarce and outdated. And for me, I, it immediately triggered back to my upbringing and how I got here talking to V, right? <laughs> uh, we're talking to each other. My journey wasn't streamlined and super simple. And yeah. I tend to skip over those parts too. So how was that part of your life? And we don't have to get into nitty gritty details, but I think for the listeners here, when it comes to going from where you started to here, what are the obstacles that, that made that a rich experience, if you will? Yeah. It's funny because every time I watch these videos, of these like Afrotech, I follow Afrotech on social media, on Instagram, and they're always posting a story. Hey, this is how I became a developer in three years. And now I'm making this much money. Da, 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 da. And they make it sound so easy. I get it. I, I kind of did that, you know, explaining my story. But yeah, there's a lot of work. Yeah. I'll be honest with you. There was a lot of lonely time as well because I had my head down and focused on this career, this path that I desperately wanted. <laughs> and it wasn't handed to me. And it wasn't like I could go to my folks, even though my dad said, hey, you're going to be burned out. You should do something in art. He didn't know exactly 
what? They, my parents still don't know what I do. <laughs> you know, I could say, hey, <laughs> yeah. I'm a UX designer. They're like, what the heck is that? And so I have to explain to them, I make it easy for when you're on a software, on a, on a cell phone, I make that part easy for you to use. And so that's the layman's term that I explained to my parents as simple as possible, especially my mom, because my mom speaks very little English. So I have to really <laughs> translate it and kind of, I hate to say this word, dumb it down for my folks. Yeah. But yeah, the transition was hard work. You know, one thing that I haven't mentioned was when I said I had an outdated computer at my school, when I finally did get a laptop, it wasn't the most <laughs> common way. My father, God rest his soul, he, he passed away, but my, we call him my crazy uncle Charlie. He's like, he's from New York. All he did was hustle. And one day he came across this laptop. He's like, oh, I think Veronica will appreciate this laptop. And it was my first <laughs> laptop. Yeah. And I looked at it and I was like, wait, this is lock. I don't know how to get into it. So one thing I would say that has been a blessing for me is my social skills. I hate to say this, but I've met so many wonderful people. And one person that I've met, I would say when I was like 18, 19 years old, was this girl from Denmark. And she majored in quantum physics. And so she knew software much more than I did. Yeah. And I want to say she hacked the laptop, but she was able to install a whole new operating system. She gave me all the Adobe suites. She's like, this is what you want. This is your passion. Here you go. And, and I remember clearly having all these Adobe software that I remember being so expensive that my parents couldn't get. And this person, this stranger who I met, and I told her that I had this laptop that I couldn't access, but this was my passion. She hooked it up. Yeah. And having that hooked up really set the stage of me performing and moving closer to where I was going to go. But a lot of it took a lot of lonely nights, a lot of long nights, especially learning things like HTML, CSS, learning research, understanding things like qualitative and quantum data. And yeah, and a lot of that I teach myself. I think that those stories are really important, right? They're important from when you think about diversity, equity, inclusion, these buzzwords in the industry now. When I think about those, I think about stories like yours, right? Like where you think of... It's not always sweet, right? You're alone a lot. A lot of people don't understand when you say a thing, what that means and having to constantly explain what certain references mean and how they hit you and the reality of all of those things. I think there's a beauty to that coming from that hustle, right? To yeah. not having all of the answers and having to figure it out yourself. It's owning the knowledge, right? It's being able to say, I'm going from zero to one, right? Where you go, I didn't know any of these things. I didn't even have access to Adobe Suite. Now I have I have this. I'm going to learn everything I possibly can about it and not being afraid to not be the smartest person in the room in order to become the smartest person in the room, right? Mm -hmm. It's a scary thing, but I, I love that you were able to do that, right? That self-teaching thing. Because I imagine you said that you had to learn it on your own. So I'm assuming a lot of it is, all right, here's a gap area. I need to go learn it. And in these new generations, it's easier because you go, okay, I'm going to go to YouTube University and learn it all, right? <laughs> what was that experience for you? <laughs> I mean, I had Google and everything. It's just, I think a lot of it was, I'm a big observer. So yeah, observing others, just being in the right circle, just going to the right meetups or the right tech event, that really helped me. The way I learn is not just also being by myself as I'm a visual learner and I'm also audio learner. So I have to hear and listen at the same time. So for me to do that, I had to put myself in environment 
that you don't see people like me. I'm going to these tech ops or this UX event to learn more about UX. And, you know, I'm the only one there. I'm the only woman of color. I'm the only minority. And I don't sound like some of the other people when they talk. I might have my my little Northeast accent, my little Spanglish accent. And so it took a lot of, especially for someone, I would say growing up, I was very much of an introvert. It took a lot of pushing myself out of my comfort zone. That's where I think where a lot of the challenges came because, you know, the little voice in me is, has that fear. Like, okay, don't say anything yet. Don't say anything yet. But in my heart, I'm like, wait, I want to say something. Yeah. So I think my heart trumps my brain <laughs> more than anything. Yeah. Because I then say it and I follow my passion. I love that. So I heard recently this this idea of our human experience is broken out into the languages of the mind and body, right? And the language of the mind is thinking, right? We use our mind to think. And the language of the body is feeling. It's a, a feeling experience. And when you combine those, that's the human experience that you have. So this kind of ebb and flow between the two that you're talking about, it's, it's really natural for us to feel that, but we tend to fight it a lot. I have to pick one, you know, and that's something that's that I'm still working on as well. Yeah. Well, something you mentioned is really interesting though. That idea of being the only person, this is a pretty frequent thing on the podcast that I hear from different guests, but on the road to that, and I imagine, you know, you're probably experienced that a lot, even in, you know, in corporate America, kind of being the only one, but like on the road, how hard was that to constantly be a person that's saying, I want to learn, I got to put myself in these uncomfortable spaces. It's already uncomfortable because you don't know you're trying to go from zero to one. But then on top of that, you amplify that experience by not having a support system that looks like you. What was that experience for you? The challenge definitely was corporate America not having support from some of my teams or manager because again, I was different. Or I would say my biggest challenge was trying to fit in. Because a lot of, especially when I first started, they all pretty much came from the same background. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying it's generic, but I want to say their background was much more similar than my background. So they had a lot to bond with. Their culture was much more similar than my culture. So it just made it hard for myself to find my, my voice within the organization. I felt like the only time that I could talk about anything was about work. Those little bonding experience that people talk about that you have at your job, I was missing out on those friendships that people always talk about. I, I was just missing out. So how do how do I fit in with you? Yeah, and it goes to that like where do where, it's like playing double dutch. Like when when I can jump in, and I'm not good at double dutch. Yeah, <laughs> I love that for the last part. And I'm not even good at double dutch. So how could I possibly figure this out? <laughs> I can't even figure out double dutch. No, but that, I mean that, that. But that's I think it's real because like that's that's what it came down to for me. Yeah. Right. And when I like I, I was mentioning before, it came down to that aspect of a lot of people look at it as like a super strength. And I'm like, what you're actually witnessing is just exhaustion. Like I'm just <laughs> so exhausted of having to try to circumnavigate, you know, this labyrinth that you put in front of me, right? This labyrinth of if you can figure out all, all of this and get out of the hamster wheel and then understand code switching and then figure out all of the things that you didn't have access to when you you know when you were growing up or when you were basically starting at a deficit to begin with in this race then maybe we'll see you as a part of the room not even the table correct like i said you when you get beat down by that so often you just get exhausted and that's what a lot of people are witnessing but they're going 
all right, in your exhaustion, you're being so honest, you're being so open, you're, you're helping to motivate a lot of other people to just be able to be themselves. And I'm like, I'm glad that I can be a martyr for you. Right? <laughs> I mean, there is a gift of being vulnerable, being vulnerable with your colleagues, being vulnerable with your, with your boss. There's a gift to that because it helps them see where you're coming from. But taking out that vulnerability or pulling it out from yourself, that's where the work comes in. It's like, I know I need to be vulnerable, but how can I do it? I don't want to be judged or I don't want to I don't want them to think I can't do my work or I don't want them to think that I'm failing, especially when we're taught to work harder than other cultures, than other other races. Growing up, you have to be two, three times ahead of the game than other races. Like when I when I mentor other Black employees, one of the things I say, hey, note down those conversations, follow up with an email, follow up with the Slack. If the decision was made, follow it up. This way you have something to track because if you don't, that might come back and bite you. <laughs> yeah. They're going to be like, we never discussed that. Or they, you know, they come, they, they forget, they forget about what happened. I think that that's true. I do kind of skim over it, but if I'm being honest, that's what it is, right? It is just that exhaustion because what I realize is I used to have this fear of being judged, right? Of being judged poorly based on how I show up. And it's one of those situations. I heard this on the topic of like music that we were talking about before. I remember listening to this freestyle and in the freestyle, and I promise you this makes sense. The artist just randomly says, I'm tired of people critiquing me for things that I had to struggle for. That hit so hard for me, that idea of that's true. I spend so much time and effort to try to learn your culture, your ways, your way of talking, your way of your way of interacting from a corporate lens, from just like a non-urban environment lens. And that's the way I describe it. Mm -hmm. I spend so much time. And then the only thing you can do is critique me for saying the word wrong. If that's what it's going to come down to, like I said, I used to be afraid of being judged, but if you're going to judge me anyway, then I want you to at least judge me. Don't, don't, you know, I don't care if you judge me poorly, at least judge me fairly exactly. based on who I actually am. And what's funny is that pe people started to go, actually, I think that's dope. <laughs> like, you know, people, people started to be like, actually, you know what? I actually, you know, really like talking to you now. And I'm like, really? Like, I was trying so hard, and I, but I think because there's that concept of you can't be the best copy, but you can be your best self, right? You're never going to be the best copy of something else. So we spend so much time trying to copy and imitate these other things that we think are valuable. But what people really, really need is for us to show up as ourselves so that they can feel comfortable showing up as their selves in a way. I don't know. I agree. <laughs> But if you show up as yourself, you also need someone that's going to be accepting of how you're showing up as yourself and not try to change you. You're right. Exactly. I think you can't just for, you know, for the actual advice is like, I wouldn't say just show up as yourself all the time. It's like you need to learn, like you need those skills, right? And as exhausting as it is, to your point, I needed to learn those skills, right? I needed to go through those experiences in order to get to the point where I'm comfortable enough to say, you know what, I'm taking off this mask, I'm taking off this suit, and I'm going to just be me because I know how to play the game. I just choose not to. There's a difference between not being able to play, not understanding the rules, mm -hmm. and choosing not to play the way that it was set up. Because when you know the rules, then you know how to say, okay, Technically, this is what the rule says, right? So there's no, so technically, I'm not wrong in what I'm yeah. doing. 
because I understand the rule. There's a difference between that and just hoping you got it right because you never read the rule book. So that's, I guess that's the, that's the advice that I would give. It really took a long time. I would say that when I, people talk about your authentic self or just for me to stop, I want to say adapting to their culture and just maintaining myself, the truth of my culture. I think that's when I found my happiness because I got into the point where, okay, I am not going to conform to the way they talk. I will literally imitate someone else's voice and some of the way someone else talked, the tone <laughs> of their voice, just so yeah. they could sense that, that, hey, we are we are similar. It's like, it's like, a, like a parent when they kind of talk to a kid to make that eye contact, they go down, right? They get on their knees or they go down. So they make that eye contact level to their child. So this way the child feels some form of, of equalness. Mm-hmm. I felt like I had to do that. Like I had to understand and study their culture. That was extra work. Now, on top of that, I was doing my own work. And so I've gotten to the point through my career that I'm, I just stopped. I yeah. talk the way I talk. I pause the way I pause because I, I take a longer pause than, than others. I'm like Obama in some cases. And <laughs> That's a hot take right there. <laughs> you know, mic drop, right? Yeah. And so I've learned to be myself and meet people halfway. And I, and I think that's the importance of the diversity inclusion is not someone saying, hey, we're going to hire these group of people because we need diversity or the product needs it. Our products need tremendous diversity inclusion, especially because our customers are so diverse. If you consider mm-hmm. yourself a global company, you have to include everyone. You have to represent everyone in your workforce. So you create products that, that represent your customers. Yeah. Now, when you are talking about collaboration, the collaboration part, that needs to be trained. Some folks need to be trained on how to adjust, just how I adjusted many, many times on how to adjust and meet others halfway when they are different, when they sound different, when they communicate different. When we talk about, you know, you and I come from the, the Latin culture, we talk with our hands, how we communicate differently. Mm-hmm. That awareness needs to be brought into the diversity inclusion program. If I, if I say that a program needs something, it's the awareness that, hey, not everyone's going to sound the way you are. Not everyone's going to come with the same background. So you have to have some form of empathy and compassion to the other person when receiving the information that they're giving you, because their tone might be different. The way they use words to be direct might be different. Some folks, some cultures use more direct wording than elaboration. Some cultures like to elaborate. They like to be a narrator and create a story. Some cultures are straight to the point and that needs to be accepted more. It's a valid point. And I also, from growing up in, and seeing so many different cultures clashing in my family, as far as not just heritage, but just social cultures as well, how people interact here in America versus in the islands and stuff like that. You know, it's one big thing is like, there's a lot of people in my family where, and myself included, where English is actually, and a lot of people are surprised when I say this, but English is actually my second language. I didn't learn English first. And I chose to spend a lot of my time trying to master that so that I can show up in this kind of really significantly well-polished code switched way. But that's also very unfair, right? Because I'm constantly having to, in my brain, move between different worlds where other people don't, right? That's extra work for you. That's extra exercise that you don't need. 
Yeah, you get to exist in your world and I have to jump in and out of it. But then when I say, hey, to your point, can you meet me halfway? That's what inclusion is. You go, eh, it's uncomfortable, <laughs> right? Yeah. But my point was like to some of that communication gaps, right? And having empathy is for some people, like I mentioned, for some people, this isn't even our first language. And that's not even just from Latin America. You think of people that come from Europe, people that come from Africa, people who come from different places. So maybe this is the best way that they can communicate is just using the words directly as basically the fastest way to get from point A to point B is a straight line. And that's the way they, yeah. you know, and, and we're just used to talking around things before we get to the point. And they're like, I don't have all of the words you have because I didn't grow up in this culture. And that's something that I grew up with as well with some of my family members of they just have to say the thing. It's not about being rude or curt or any of that, but not understanding that is a part of lacking that empathy, a part of not really leaning into that, that I in the DEI, right? Where people just say diversity, put different people in the room, but you go like, what's the point of putting different people in the room if they can't cohabitate well, or they can't collaborate, as you mentioned, really well. When you think about the advice that you would have for not just corporations, but for people kind of experiencing the things that you've experienced in having to lean in, having to meet people halfway without them necessarily wanting to meet you halfway all the time. Mm -hmm. What advice would you give them? Well, I stopped leaning in. <laughs> <laughs> so that's a mic drop right there. There's depth to that, right? So you say stop leaning in, but I think you mentioned earlier, a part of that feedback is saying you stop leaning in in order to kind of love yourself more, right? To say, hey, correct, a big part of that. So what do you mean by that when you say stop leaning in? I don't do, I use the term code switch. I don't do that anymore. I don't switch it up. You accept me how I am. Mm -hmm. I do discuss. Now I've gotten into therapy within my, my role where if I've noticed that my voice is not being heard, it's not being understand, then I would take the extra step and say, hey, let's discuss it. What's going on? Let's get some clarity. I noticed that we're not on the same page or I noticed that our communication is not aligned. So how can we make that better? I will call the other person out. This is where I am now within my career. If I notice that your communication is hindering my job <laughs> and we're not aligned, then yes, I'm going to use my voice now because I'm a little more extrovert than I was in my early years of, of my career. And I'm going to say, hey, let's discuss this. Let's sit down. Let's discuss it. I want to understand more your point of view, especially being in a, in a creative field and being in an environment where we're all trying to innovate. We all have ideas. People fight for their ideas to, to be pushed. And I'm one of those. I'm, you know, I like to fight for my ideas to be pushed. But I also want to understand your communication style. Especially if your background and your culture is different from mine, I'm also going to say this. I want you to understand my communication style. Mm. And just like you, like you mentioned, you talk about the language and the exercise you have to do with. I do that as well. And I think I hate to say this. One of the advantages I say that that I've, I've been fortunate with my career is my last name, mm -hmm. Clark. <laughs> you know, I'm, I do come from a, a Spanish-speaking household. English is also my second language. I was in ESL classes all the way to like fourth grade. And so I speak Spanish, I write in Spanish, I can read in Spanish, but I speak Spanglish more than anything, I, I say. Yeah. And I think that illusion, like I have to tell people, hey, just because the last name is Clark doesn't mean I, I, <laughs> English is my first language. Spanish is my first language. My parents come from a different country, a different culture. They speak different. And then my grandfather, whose last name that I have is Clark, comes from Barbados. 
they speak patois, like a broken English in some cases. So if you hear my dad speak, his English and his Spanish sound very different from most Caribbean because of that mixture that he has. I think it's it's valuable and it's important to to make sure that we are always bring ourselves back and recenter in that because I think we don't always from an empathy gap perspective and this is one of my main takeaways from this conversation and many of the conversations we had by the way is that idea of whenever you ask something of someone you have to be able to even if it's a tacit ask right a lot of people in corporate america by existing in the dominant culture you're tacitly asking people that don't come from the dominant culture quote unquote to lean into you. So when you're having that ask, you have to be able to lean back into them and really say, you know what? This is us meeting halfway. This is us collaborating. This is us working together for that gain. But I think that that's such a valuable gem. But I wanted to take time to thank you again for joining us on this show. This has been one of many conversations we had, but this is one of the great conversations that the audience is going to get to hear for this episode. So thank you again for that. Thank you for having me. I, I had a great time and you know, I love to leave it with, don't just have empathy for your customers, but have empathy for your colleagues as well. Yeah. Love it. Thank you. Thank <laughs> you.